The Fake Show podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Hutchison & Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, now with two locations, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com t-shirt designs, Mr. Antenna, now your host, Jim Tofty. The Barking Hams were a great pop rock band that formed in the mid-60s in the Chicagoland area and were one of the top-selling acts of 1967 in particular, leading things off with their number one hit single, Kind of a Drag. A string of hits would follow, and all of the drama that went along with finding the right songs and management back in the day, Buckingham singer and guitarist Carl Giamarisi joins me to talk about the hit-making days, what the Buckinghams are up to in the present, and a new singing partnership that Carl has going on right now. Please welcome Carl Giamarisi. Carl, how are you doing? Real good, real good. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you very much. Where are you today? Where Where I'm, am I talking to you from? I'm I'm in the Chicago area. Okay, you live uh, in... Which is where I live. I, I, I live just west of the city, you know, it's about 16 miles west of, of downtown Chicago. Did you move so, away from there at some point and then decide, hey, that's Chicagoland, that's my, uh, that's my home base? You know what? I never really moved away from uh, from the Chicago area. I well, I you know at different times in my career, I've I've spent a lot of time living in different places and going yeah. back and forth. And you know, I was in Los Angeles for a while in the in the seventies. Sure. And uh, you know, we were in New York a, a great deal back in the, in the day in the late sixties when we were making hits. You know, we were recording there and spending a lot of time on the East Coast and so forth. And but uh, Chicago is is most you know I we're because we're still active playing all the time. I I, um, I make Chicago area my home, and it's, it's easy to get everywhere. And uh, and uh, my partner Nick Fortuna, I, I don't know if you're aware, sure. he lives in, in Las Vegas. Yeah, so. I've got a friend who yeah. a, a friend of a friend who uh, kind of hangs out with Nick right. every now you and think then. It's, is it Mike? I think. It is Mike. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Sure. Very good. I know Mike, very well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, happy New Year to you, and congratulate yes. congratulations on on uh, the song "I Will Love You Forever" with Lisa oh. McClowry. Boy, it's making quite a splash, isn't it? It is. I'm. You know, we're getting a lot of uh, response to it, a lot of activity, and you know, we debuted it on on a radio station, WGN sure. in Chicago. I mean, uh, radio in Chicago on, on uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, the Steve and Johnny show, and uh, wow, we've been just getting a, a great response from it. And you know, we're trying to take it to the next level and trying to see if we can get it uh, uh, picked up uh, by some. Uh, you know, we have a uh, somebody uh, out of Los Angeles who does sync work and trying to get it into a uh, maybe into a film, into a movie, or uh, TV, or, or whatever. And uh, you know, just trying. Trying all the different, press all the buttons, you know, trying it's, to get something going because we're we're excited about it. It obviously. is a great, it is a great song. I could see how it could fit into a movie soundtrack. Uh, the the avenues that you have to go through now to get a song noticed, it's quite different than it used to be, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's very very different. Of of course, you know, we were the Buckinghams were uh, the cutting edge at the time in '67. We had so much going for us. We had the right uh, material, the right combination of of people in our band and uh 
the right look for what was happening. And of course, we were young, <laughs> so, <laughs> a lot, you know. Uh, so we, you know, we had it all going, and and, it, and it's so different now. I mean, with uh, all the different streaming services now, uh, streaming yep. music platforms, and and of course, we've got that song up on all the platforms now, including Spotify. And, Apple Music and and uh, doing the best we can with social media. Um, I will admit that uh, Lisa McClowry is much better than I am at social media. <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm trying to get there. You know, how did you make that connection with her? How did that all happen? Well, it, it's um, funny how that came about. Um, I knew of Lisa for quite a while. Uh, she's a Chicago person and very talented singer, and uh, knew of her from a distance. We didn't really know each other. And I knew that she was doing some projects with uh, uh, with Jim Peterick. You know, sure. Jim is uh, yeah. I had to march. Of course, you know, I was a march and survivor, and uh, of course, yep. uh, I had the Tiger fame. You know, he wrote it, and he was trying to help her out years ago, trying to get something going. And uh, and I, of course, I'm real connected with Jim. I knew I've known Jim forever. And uh, and then uh, you know when this pandemic hit and when it be- all began around the beginning of 2020, I guess it was the end of 2019. Yeah. And you know the Buckinghams were off the road because of uh, you know a lot of dates were either postponed or canceled, and and I was uh, just doing different projects and doing a lot of writing, and I had written this this song uh, which was. Um, the basic uh, bones of this song, I Will Love You Forever, but it was a little different at that point. And uh, we had a mutual friend, Lisa and I, um, uh, a film producer in Chicago, uh, Joffrey Films, uh, Joffrey Films, rather, uh, Greg Mc- Greg Bizarro. And uh, I was visiting with him about us doing a virtual concert, Buckingham concert at his studio. And he mentioned uh, Lisa and and pulled up uh, a few videos of her uh, performing. And I was like, wow, she is really, really good. So he, he gave me her phone number and I had called her to see if she was interested in an original song. And she wasn't recording at the time. She was uh, in uh, Alabama playing at a theater. She does the Legends show um, with, uh, she plays Cher that's where i She's saw her character. yeah you right know, you know and there's many you know the show is made up with, with different personalities impersonating uh various yep. uh, people like pat benatar and lady gaga and elvis mm-hmm. and you know and she she was in that doing it in alabama and we got to talking she says well i'm really not doing any recording and and she uh, approached me with uh would you like to do a, a virtual video with me and i was like Whoa! I don't know because I wasn't used to doing video things. Yeah. And she came up with the concept, the idea to do um, do a remake of "Don't You Care." And I don't know if you had a chance to see that. But, you know, I was uh, going to say a couple of months ago. I think I came across that. It's so good the duet with the both of you. First of all, it it yeah. whoever put together the the video portion of it is is really great. And uh, well, but. Yeah, it's made for that. I'll give I'll give Lisa credit. She she said, "Let's do it like this, you know, using a dividing wall." You know, I I did my part on one side of it. And yeah. She did hers, and then she assembled it, and we really did those on uh, basically we did them on our iPhones, you know, and then of course we did the recording, wow. uh, the real recording of it, uh, studio record quality, but it's it's just a guitar, 
and uh, our two voices. And we, we discovered that we have a really good vocal blend, you know, together. Yeah. And uh, so it was her arrangement to do the song that way. And then she just assembled the whole thing, you know, and then uh, and then we, we, we did that and we got a great response. And then we did the uh, the uh, song by um, Sting, uh, Melody Gardot. Uh, they, okay. they did a duet uh, with Little Something as the song. And, and, and we took a different approach. And once again, that was uh, Lisa's styling to do that. And uh, and, you know, we created the track together and it was her idea how to do it and uh and that one's a little different you know i'm is this the first time that you that you had ever done a duet with a female singer like this um you know we had a a female singer with uh, the buckinghams and and around 85 84 that was singing mostly backgrounds with us but but really this is the first time i i really did a recorded you know a real duet with with a female voice and it's uh pretty unique it's really different you know and and we i was excited to do it and the way it was sounding and then we did a complete circle the original song i approached her with uh turned out to be i will love you forever uh, i think it was called uh, can i love you forever or whatever at the beginning we changed it around then her and i together rewrote the lyrics uh to work as a duo um, and we, we did all this on the phone, by the way, yeah. <laughs> back and forth. And we, once again, we, we started working on that song virtually and she was still on the road doing the legends show. And, uh, we started, you know, talking about it and, and then it's weird, you know, we, we went almost, I don't know how many months it was, eight months or so without ever connecting in person. And then she finally came back to Chicago and uh, we met for the first time after doing these <laughs> videos and I says, well, let's have lunch, you know, and, you know, so we did. And that was the first time, you know, I gave her a big hug and it was, I, you know, I was blown away when I saw her, you know, she's a very, very talented, like I said, a very attractive lady. And, and uh, I said, wow, Lisa, you are a real person. You're not virtual. <laughs> I know it's uh, kind of futuristic, isn't it? I mean, uh, she yeah, probably yeah. said, are we eating lunch over the phone? You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So from there we started, uh, and then we did we did the vocals for for that song in person, and we had some help from uh, a really great uh, musician, uh, pianist, producer uh, John Blasucci. Uh, he's done many things for different people, and uh, I think he did some playing with Dennis DeYoung from Styx. And, sure. And uh, I think he might have even done some arranging for a few other Chicago people and. Uh, you know, well, he's been he's been around. He's originally from Chicago, I believe, but very talented. So he got he was supposed to just do the piano for us, and then he liked the song so much, and like you know, he, we got deeper into it with him, and he wound up producing it, and uh, you know, assembling it, putting it together. But you know, Lisa and I did the vocals. I hope to hope to do um, you know at least have a, a career together doing some writing and writing songs hopefully for other people and uh, would there be any chance that she would uh do a, a live date or two with with you guys as the buckinghams and and you would be able to do the material you do with her well that's always a possibility or i could certainly do something else with her yeah live you know i says well i can't wait until we can redo it we can perform this song live on say the tonight show or something yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> You always look uh, at the possibilities, you know, and you have to think 
think big, you know. When did you, as a kid, pick up the guitar and, and think about, hey, I want to I wanna be in a band. The Beatles are really getting things going for all these neighborhood kids, you know? Well, you know, I always... Uh, to tell the story about you know i mean i, I started playing a guitar when i was 13 and um you know I, I lived in a neighborhood in chicago in the inner city that was kind of a rough neighborhood a lot of crazy stuff going on yeah and we had our you know the gangs happening and it was it was a not like today you know we used to just beat each other up you know now they're shooting each other yeah. you know so that's, right that's really not good you know uh we used to settle it with fists you know but um but anyway so my parents they thought i needed a diversion uh something keep me busy and out of trouble you know so um they suggested you know playing a musical instrument and i was kind of interested in the saxophone at first uh, but my mom was a big Elvis fan, you know, and she said, no, play the guitar because then you could sing and play, you know, at the same time. And so, okay, you know, they signed me up for guitar lessons. I found a teacher of music school and uh, I started taking lessons when I was about 13. And um, and then I just, I don't know, I don't think they realized that I would embrace it like I did and got into it deeper and deeper until by the time I was about 15 um, my, my, a cousin of mine, Jerry Alardi had formed a band in the suburbs and they were looking for a guitar player. And, uh, so he called me up and I joined those guys and, uh, the band was a four piece group and Nick Fortuna went to school with my cousin, Jerry. And, uh, so he was playing guitar also. So, uh, the, the band was made up really at the beginning of th three guitar players and a drummer, <laughs> uh -huh. we had this guy, Kurt Bachman, uh, on guitar. So it was, it was pretty, uh, I can only imagine how bad we sounded at the beginning because we were like three guys playing out of a one amplifier and, <laughs> and a drummer, you know, and Jerry was a great singer. He had a great voice, uh, and he played drums and then sometimes he'd come up in front and sing and. And Kurt would play drums a little bit. And eventually Kurt picked up the bass. And then we, we had two guitars, bass and drums. And, uh, you know, we started playing around uh, the suburbs, uh, the north north suburbs, uh, playing parties, you know, to begin with. And someone would have a party and we'd, we'd, they'd hire us to play and we'd come in and set up. And, you know, I, I think we knew f maybe four or five songs at the beginning and we would just make each song into a 20 minute song you know? <laughs> <laughs> do our version of uh, of pipeline or uh you yeah. know do some instrumentals or whatever we do uh you know so whatever you know whatever was happening in the charts but we would expand those songs because we didn't have enough material and eventually we did and then we started playing dances around chicago you know with uh, the group was called the centuries and that was uh, the first group, you know, that was my first. And it, I just kept going until, you know, at, at first I thought, oh, you know, this is fun. It's just great to do that. And then all of a sudden, 1964 and the Beatles hit. And when the Beatles came here, I wanted to be like everybody else. I wanted to be the fifth Beatle. You know, I mean, I was just blown away. Did you not only want to maybe change your sound, but also your look? Because everyone was doing that based on what they were seeing with the Beatles. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we wanted to do that. And the sound, you know, um, we were one of the first bands around Chicago, maybe the first band to start playing well, covering Beatles songs and playing our instruments and singing at the same time, because around Chicago, anyway, all the all the bands were you had like a, an upfront singer or three singers up front uh, singing group with a band backing them up. And that was, you know, the way it was. And then, you know, we started doing what the Beatles were doing, the self-contained band who was playing their instruments and singing at the same time. And, uh, and so that, that caught on and, and uh, you know, made us a little bit different at the beginning. And, um, you know, we, it, it was a really good, good band that eventually... I had left that group and joined a group called the Pulsations, uh, right. which which was made up of, of uh, Dennis Tufano and John Polis on drums, and uh, and we had uh, mostly singing lead at the time was uh, George Legros, who uh, George kind of missed out because he wound up getting drafted, and uh, gosh, it must have been like three or four months before kind of a drag. But uh, but we were the pulsations, and then we auditioned for a TV show on WGN television in Chicago, a variety show called All Time Hits, and they were looking for the the pop group to join the show. So we became the token pie. So we we uh, you know auditioned who, and beat out all the other bands and wound up getting the show. Yeah. Whose uh, idea? Who came up with the the name the Buckinghams, which so brilliantly played on the British invasion? Yeah, I mean it was very contemporary for what was happening at the time. And uh, well, when we when we got uh, when we won the audition for the all time hits show, they they liked the band, uh, but they didn't like the name. Yeah, um, uh, you know, and they wanted something more just that went along with that whole British invasion and. And, uh, you know, pulsations was kind of, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't really, uh, uh, you that, know. That didn't cut it, huh? Yeah, not at all. No. <laughs> needed something. Well, anyway, we made friends with uh, a security guard that worked for WGN-TV. This guy uh, became good friends with him, John O'Pager. Was he John the kind of guy who guy. could get you into Ray Rayner or Bozo, the Bozo show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I met Bozo. He did, got nice. The studio next door, you know. Nice. And uh, Ray Rayner, too. You know, I met all the WGN people. Uh, still see a lot of them through the years, you know. Yeah. But, um, but uh, so anyway, so he came up with a couple names, and one of them was the Buckinghams. You know, we couldn't believe nobody was using that. That's great. Said, okay. Okay, well, then let's do the, you know, we started our 13-week contract uh in september of 65 uh, we started the all-time hits variety show and uh for 13 weeks and it was great exposure because uh as you probably know wgn is a syndicated national station super station yeah it not only played in Chicago, but played in a lot of markets around the country. Yeah, I'm from so. I'm from Racine, Wisconsin, originally. So we oh, okay. that was our we had an antenna that would you know motor around to the Chicago area or Milwaukee. So you had your choice of those two markets, and sure, WGN was on all the time at our house. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's yeah. Well, Racine is right next door. You know? Yep. 
played played racing quite a bit back in the day and yeah been through there even now you know and, and we 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 still play we play in uh play milwaukee as a matter of fact i have a one of our uh, cornerstones of rock shows that we do is in, at uh, Summerfest in Milwaukee. Nice. Year. Well, my sister, who is five years older than I am, she was of the age where she would go to the the Y in Racine or some of the other uh, smaller venues, and you guys were there and the Crying Shames and all these other bands. Well, that's, you know, we, we uh, I guess it was maybe about six years ago maybe, when we did the, the Cornerstones of Rock uh, for WTTW uh, nice. uh, show, you know, with, with all the, the groups from Chicago, mostly uh, the Crying Shames, the New Colony Six, Shadows of Night, of course, the Ides of March. Nice. Uh, and, and, and it was really, a, it turned out to be a successful uh, PBS special that we did and played in different markets and so then uh we got the idea to turn it into a live show and ever since then we've been doing like three four five i think we got about five or six uh, of those shows this year how did the song kind of a drag come to you guys and had you recorded in a studio previously uh we had recorded uh, previously um, a couple small studios around Chicago, but we, we had done some tracks at Chess Studios on uh, South Michigan Avenue, very nice. famous blues sure. studio. Yeah. You know, a lot of great blues artists. You know, and, I, and I'll be honest, back then, we were young kids. I didn't even know the history of the studio that much. Uh, you know, I mean, you had Chuck Berry recorded there, Muddy Waters. And I think the Stones, the Stones would end up going there. Yeah, the Stones did their first album uh, yeah. there. And, uh, you know, it was a very famous, uh, Ron Malo was the uh, famous engineer there who engineered us too. And uh, But there weren't many pop groups recording there. I mean, the Impressions, another group. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's it's just so, so much. It was, it was the place at the time. And, and there we were in 66 recording and uh you know we we were recording cover tunes before kind of a drag uh, and we had um a few songs that uh, got airplay you know th- thanks to thank god for for wls and wcfl radio because they were very supportive yes. of local bands you know if they liked your song they would put it on a regular rotation but support you you know with the great personalities like uh, clark weber and uh, art roberts and uh and of course dick biondi um you know the great supporter of all of us yeah and you're talking about w you know wls was one of those stations too that you could hear from just about anywhere in the country too so that was a big plus for you guys wasn't it oh yeah i mean uh, i've had uh, you know i've i've met uh, paul schaefer several times and and Paul said, uh, he even mentioned it in his, his book, he did an autobiography uh, that uh, he was up, lived up in, he's a Canadian who lived up in Thunder Bay, was, uh, Thunder Bay, Canada. Yeah. And uh, and he would listen to WLS at night. He could get it, you know, yeah. 50 watt, 50,000 watt station. And uh, so he was very familiar with the Chicago bands. Because I always used to wonder, he, he used to, when he was on the Letterman show, he would make references to Chicago and uh, Carl Bonafetti, the screaming wild man, you know, because Carl, Carl was a radio personality who do commercials, fast talking, and he was also our manager. And he, he managed the Buckinghams 
and uh, in the early part of that. And and he's the one who found, we wanted an original song. We were dying for an original. We were covering a cover band. We, we had, because of LS and CFL, we had uh, local hits with uh, cover songs like James Brown's, the first song we heard played on the radio was uh, I'll, uh, I'll Go Crazy, James Brown's uh-huh. song. And, uh, and then we did I Call Your Name, the Beatles song. We did a Holly song, nice. I've Been Wrong. And uh, but we you know we wanted that original tune and, and he went out and found us kind of a drag. He found this songwriter uh, Jim Holvey and Gary Gary Beisberg. Uh, those two guys were writing and and uh, Holvey was with a group called the Mop. They were a big show band, you know. But he was writing songs and the songs weren't right for his group. And uh, so uh, Carl Bonafetti hit him up for uh, an original and. He just strummed on his guitar. He says, well, I got one here. It goes like this. Uh, kind of a drag you know, when your baby don't love you. Okay. And he just played it on his guitar. And, uh, uh, and Bonafetti recorded it. He had a reel-to-reel tape player and uh, brought it back to us. And we thought, oh, that's a catchy song. You know, let's let's work work this one up and see what we could come up with and we rehearsed it uh back in those days we would rehearse in in our parents basements uh-huh yeah you know? <laughs> that's that's what you did you know we we would usually last in one of our parents basements we'd last maybe about a week and then they had enough of us you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah Hearing who, from who was the lucky home who got to have yeah, yeah. the guys there and then we, we'd have to move to the next guy's house you know but i remember rehearsing that song in my parents basement uh, and i remember my mother coming down and saying you know that's really a catchy song that could be a hit song for you guys you know so I, I didn't think a lot of it at the time, but uh, she was right. The, the thing I noticed, too, about your recordings with the Buckinghams is that they were so well produced. I mean, it, it had a big time sound to it. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, um, to begin with, uh, thanks to uh, Dan Bellock, who was uh, he owned a popular dance place called the Holiday Ballroom. And we used to play there all the time. And he produced a band. Dan was a big band leader and songwriter uh he wrote some song from way back called pretend and uh had a hit with that and so anyway he knew his way around a little bit in the studio and it was his idea to we weren't a horn band we were just a five-piece pop group and uh, it was his idea to add horns to the song yeah who are the horns on those recordings well i don't know all the guys i couldn't tell you but uh Dan Bellock, who produced us, uh, who I mentioned, um, had a big band. So he tapped on uh, one of his horn players to write charts for, for horn charts for the, the recording. And uh, his name was Frank Frank Tizinski. It was uh, the the trombone player in his band. And he, he wrote uh, the charts for Kind of a Drag and, and several of the other songs we did, uh, cover tunes. And uh, so if you notice, our horn sound is kind of trombone heavy. There's a lot of trombone on the bottom, and, and that's because the guy who wrote the charts was a trombone player. So right. He was uh, leaning that direction, you know, which was obvious. But, you know, that voicing that he used, it created a, a certain kind of horn sound. Well, us. and, you know, just the song Mercy, 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 for instance, it's just such an explosive horn sound. and. 
I believe you guys were one of the first rock bands to use horns, yes? Yeah, especially in that way, you know, with that type of sound. Because, see, what happened was after kind of a drag, uh, we pretty much left the music scene in Chicago and got a new producer and and manager, uh, James William Gersio. Sure. Garcia was a Chicago guy originally, but then he moved out to L.A., and we, we thought of him as a slick, cool L.A. dude. You know, him and his partner, Gary Evans, uh, had a management company, and they talked us into to joining them. And, uh, you know, we didn't realize that at the time that Garcia was such a great music guy, too. You know, he kind of knew his way around, and he was a, a good musician, too, and uh, had a lot of ideas. and. And after kind of a drag, our contract was up with USA Records, which was kind of crazy. You know, we had the number one record in the country, and we didn't have a record deal anymore. <laughs> How could they let you go, though, with that in mind, that you had this number one hit? Well, it was more us wanting to leave them because okay. we didn't have a contract than them letting us go. Uh, we, we had, see, we, we, you know, I mean, we were, you know, a bunch of kids that, we weren't the smartest uh, there were, but... Uh, Who was, you know? The, I mean, yeah, and, the, and by the way, weren't you just basically a senior in high school when kind of a drag came out? Yes, yeah, I was. You know, it was a pretty crazy, crazy time for me. I barely made it through high school because we were so busy playing. Yeah. Uh, you know, the guys would pick me up, uh, you know, Friday from school, and we, we would travel in a... We had a van, and we would load up on top of uh, we'd lay on top of our equipment and we had about a foot between the equipment and the roof of the van and uh we would drive oh god we'd play in aberdeen south dakota or wherever you know we would uh plan all over the place and uh, you know when i was in high school still because i was the youngest guy in the band and uh so you know so going back to this after kind of a drag we, we were at least smart enough to realize that we got lucky, real lucky with kind of a drag being a number one record like that. And if we were going to not be one hit wonders, we better find somebody who can help us and take a giant leap here. So that's when Gersio came along and uh, we signed with him and he brought us to Columbia Records. And uh, you can imagine it's it's pretty easy to get a record deal when you got the number one record in the country, you know. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and kind of, and and Columbia was just starting to really uh, become uh, a lot bigger in the pop rock music uh, part of their label, because up until then, uh, the music director, uh, the head of A and R at Columbia, was Mitch Miller. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I sure do. And I and I also remember how he really didn't like rock music much. <laughs> no, he no. didn't like it at all. <laughs> he, he said this will never last, and uh, he was real down on it. But but luckily, lucky uh, about the same time we came with the label, you know, Clive Davis took over. And uh, right. he he knew what was coming. You know, he, he had a lot of uh, vision, you know, for that label. So things started to really take off for us. And then, of course, uh, Holvey gave us, Jim Holvey gave us uh, Don't You Care. And uh, so we went yes. from, uh, from Chicago, we went to New York at Columbia and recorded it uh, at the Columbia facility in Manhattan. 
which uh, the big black building there, CBS, their studios. And, you know, a lot of artists on Columbia were uh, recording there. Uh, I remember uh, Simon and Garfunkel recording up there, you know, and, and I think Dylan even did some things there. And, and, right. And uh, so, you know, so it, it was a big step for us because as much as I love kind of a drag and it, it was a great recording and great, but you can really hear the, um, uh, the step up from kind of a drag as far as to don't you care and the quality of the recording and the arrangement. Yeah, just such a smooth song. And so how long did it take before Gersio says to you guys, well, you know, I'm focusing on this band called the Chicago Transit Authority now. So see ya. <laughs> <laughs> I joke on stage about that because in our show, we do a couple Chicago songs. We do, you know, does anybody really know what time it is? Nice. Make me smile. And this is kind of a tribute to them. And, and I, I joke with that and I say, yeah. And then we enter, cause what happened, I'm sure a lot of people were turning Gersio on to the group Chicago. They weren't Chicago yet. Of course, the big they, thing, they, right? They weren't, they were, yeah, they were the big thing. They were playing a club called Barnaby's on, yep. on State Street, and uh, and we used to go there after uh, we'd come come back from on the road, and we'd, we'd head down there and listen to these guys, and we thought they were just great. You know, they were what you heard on that first uh, CTA album yeah. uh, was what what you were hearing live. I mean, that's that's how they were sounded, and we we told Garcia too. We said, hey, you know, you should come in and check these guys out they're really good and he was a little reluctant at the, at the beginning i think he just had a lot going on and, but then eventually he did come in and he was really impressed and so it was you guys who, who told him to come see them yeah oh, we, we did <laughs> over and over again we did, wow you know that's great and uh I, I can't be positive that he finally listened to us or somebody else but uh we, we were certainly promoting uh them to him you know and and then we had our differences with him too we 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 wound up firing him leaving him and moving on mostly over publishing and and different things that we were becoming aware of you know i'll i'll you know uh you know hindsight you, you never know looking back now you know maybe it was a mistake maybe we could have uh uh, pulled a few more hits out with him, but then again, the music business was changing. Uh, yeah, the, the, rapidly. I mean, we you know we went from AM to FM in, in, a, in a month. I think you know all of a sudden things were really different, and a lot of the pop groups were uh, being left behind. So it, it was more. There was more to it than just. Sure. Uh, some people say, "Why'd you leave Gersio?" You know, but then again, it you know, like I said, because if you look at the the bands that were happening when we were happening in our, our same genre, like uh, say Gary Puckett and the union gap or the grassroots or the turtles or whatever, you know, they were, they stopped uh, uh, making the hits too at that point, you know? Yeah, sure. Well, and so you had some hits. How long before you ended up going on big shows like the Ed Sullivan show? Because that certainly had to be the pinnacle for you guys. Yeah, it certainly was. And, uh, you know, what happened was when we went with Gersio, and uh, this is like uh, the end of 66, 67, you know, that was our magic year, the biggest year. Although uh, Ed Sullivan, I think, was right at the beginning of 68, Susan came out. But uh, 
because that song Susan sort of made its debut on that solo and you know it's a great that's a great song too and by the way my wife Susan thinks that's about her anyway oh <laughs> well, that's nice <laughs> a lot of Susans out there so right you know. but uh, but you know 67 when we uh, signed with Columbia we also signed with the William Morris agency to book us and and William Morris uh, it was always and probably still as big in television too so uh, all of a sudden, you know, we started getting offers uh, when the hits started happening to do the variety shows because that—that's what we had back then. You know, we don't have—we didn't have social media like today, and you didn't have Facebook and YouTube yeah. and that. You had these variety shows. You'd record a new song, and if you were lucky, you'd be invited to perform on one of them. You know, it's like we did. Uh, you know, we do. We did the. Joey Bishop show. We, of course, we did uh, American Bandstand. Uh, we did the Jerry Lewis show, um, and of course, the Smothers Brothers was a biggie for us because that was really happening at the time. Sure. And we did a couple songs on each of these shows, and, and then eventually we got the Ed Sullivan show. That was, you know, the the epitome of success of ours TV at the time, and. You know, we we were blown away. Here we were on the same stage, the Ed Sullivan Theater, the same stage the Beatles performed on, Elvis and the Stones, and a lot of a lot of groups. You know, and and uh, so that's you know that's that sort of went hand in hand with uh, uh, the hits, and uh, you had the William Morris Agency and Columbia Records was great at promoting uh, your songs back then when you have a new record because they had such a great promotion department at that time you know and you'd, you'd fly into a city and you'd be met at the airport and it'd, it'd be these two guys usually in in uh suits and hats uh, they look like the mafia you know, like two, <laughs> you know with their suits and ties and, and uh fedora hats on you know and we're going to take you to the radio station now you know yep. They take you around to different places, to record stores, you know, to do uh, the guy who was head of promotion at Columbia at the time, Ron Alexenberg, really knew what he was doing, boy, with promotion. And, you know, he did a lot for uh, Michael Jackson uh, back when he was, I think he was president. Uh, he became president of Epic when Michael started his solo career. And uh, so they, they knew what they were doing. I, I remember flying into Boston and we were supposed to be met at the airport by Sal and Jimmy. Uh-huh. And we thought, okay, these two guys, Sal and Jimmy, okay, they're going to meet us, Columbia guys, you know. And we get there, and there's only one guy. His name is Sal. I says, where's, N- where's Jimmy? And he says, no, my last name is N. Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> it was an Italian. It's Sal and Jimmy. <laughs> so, you know. I mean, no, I remember working with a lot of those types back in the day in radio. That's that's for sure. That's what kind of the gears that ran the whole deal. You'd have to wine yeah. and dine those guys, that's for sure, to get a record played. Well, your music is uh, ever-evolving now with what you're doing with Lisa. And I I see a couple of different dates that you have up on your great website. It really is a nice website, but I'm not sure who takes care of that, but it's nicely done. Are those dates still happening or is that kind of a fluid thing? What with the pandemic again? Well, let me say this right now they are. I mean, all the dates are holding. Uh, Nothing has been canceled. That's good. You know, uh, we we have a few dates there that were moved from, uh, 
even from 2020, you know, I mean, we were supposed to be in Vegas a few times that got moved. You know, we, we, we just played Vegas too, uh, at the golden nugget. Uh, we were there, sure. um, not just, but you know, maybe it was a couple months ago. Or, yeah. Um, and, uh, you, you got to come and join us when we. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Show, Cause that's, that's a fun road to play, you know? And uh, one thing I, while I'm thinking of it, I wanted to mention too is that Lisa McClowry is coming to Vegas with the Legends show, and uh, I don't know the exact Great. dates off. That. I should have looked up the dates, but she's she's doing it in Alabama right now, the show, and then uh, from there, I think they were there about a month, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that she's going to be in February, March, maybe March, April. I don't know. It's going to be a pretty long run at the Tropicana. Uh, in Vegas. Nice. So, well, hopefully, uh, hopefully you guys can uh, rendezvous and and do a couple things together live. Great. It's been great talking to you, Carl, and we can get more stuff. In fact, the, I think a lot of the music is right there on your website. And nice talking to you ab- about uh, what's happening now and and the Buckingham's days. For someone who yeah. lived so close to the Chicago land area like I did, it's it's always a pleasure talking to you guys well I, I appreciate you having me uh having me on here to, to talk about it and uh and thanks for spending so much time with me today and stay well won't you yeah yeah well thanks thanks for having me uh and i appreciate it make sure you, you well I, I have your email now because you had contacted me but uh you know i'll let you know if we're coming back to vegas great and, uh, you could join us Come on out. Great. Look forward to that. That'd be great. All right, Carl. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for all your support. Uh, Happy New Year. Stay well and be safe. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. I love the fact that Carl and Nick Fortuna keep the Buckingham's name alive because it was such great music. Make sure you see them if they're in your area. You can get the latest at carlgiamarisi.com. And that finishes off this episode of the Fake Show podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you next time. Listen to the Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com.